I want to talk with you today about your dreams. I want to, I want to, I want to blow life into your dreams today with what I'm going to share. Can y'all put up the picture of the flag for me? You, you guys back there got a picture of the, the uh, Iwo Jima flag. Did y'all get that? Did that work? I sent it to Jamie. Did y'all not get it? Okay, you're going to be close. But how many of you know last week on February the 23rd was the anniversary of when they raised the flag on February the 23rd, 1945, on the island of Iwo Jima? How many of you have seen remember it? You know, we got Marines raising that flag there. Very significant. Well, for the first time in my life, the Lord spoke to me out, and that's not the first, but he's, I came in some information about it. I didn't know. Now, maybe you know, but I didn't know this, and it was simply this. The battle of Iwo Jima began on February the 29th. They raised the flag on February the 23rd, but they took the island on March the 26th. And I want that to settle into you. See, the raising of the flag there is like the promise God gives you, the dream he's put in your heart. Amen? The four days prior to that, there was a battle going on. They finally got to raise it. But yet, they had not taken the island. I didn't, Dan, did you know that? I just assumed out of history that when that flag was raised, battle over. But that's not what history records. And so what I want to talk with you today is the fact about how, and I'd asked, I'd sent them a PowerPoint, Matt. Did they get that? They got it, okay. And I want to use this PowerPoint in just a minute, but the dream that God has given you, there's still a battle ahead. When that promise came, you raised the flag. Very interesting about this scene here. Not those men, any of those men there, but at that battle, there was a man named Gene Dura. There was a man named Lee Marshall, and there was a man named Robert Lane. Gene Dura and Lee Marshall came back from the war. They were Marines, and they married Nash girls, my dad's sister. Didn't know each other, but met these girls and married them. And Robert Lane came back from that war, not knowing Lee Marshall or Gene Dura, and he married my mother's sister. And so I have a little bit of a connection to that battle because of those three people, and none of them knew each other, but yet they became family through marriage and discover they were all there that day. And so it's important to understand, I don't care what's going on with you. Hey, listen, let me, let's bust your bubble. Life is filled with disappointment. But God is never late, and God never fails. And so what, can you imagine, it, 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 that's actually 31 days from the day that that flag was raised. It's 31 days, and 31 is the number for El, like El Shaddai. And it was 31 days more of battle. Can you imagine how many times that maybe some soldier stuck his head up out of a foxhole and he could still see the flag? And it invigorated him and it raised his faith. And he said, you know, he thought, you know, we, we, we got the flag raised. We need to take the island. We need to complete our course. We need to be in all things more than a conqueror. And so today I want to, 
uh, minister a message. Some of you in City Gate, I've ministered this message before, but it's so burned into my heart that I want to talk to you about the journey of coming to faith once faith comes to you. But I'm going to begin with a story about a dream. There's a book by some guy named Bruce, I can't remember. I want to say Wilkerson, but I don't remember. That, is that who it is? And he wrote it years ago about dreams. And there's a story in it that captivated me many, many years ago. It's a story about a young man whose father was a horse trainer. And all his life, he never finished one year in the same school he started at. Most years, because his dad was moving with the horse industry, he'd be in three or four schools every year. He never was an excellent student due to moving and getting. And so his senior year, his teacher says to all of the class, I want you to write your dream. And so he wrote his dream. He wrote, I want to own a big house and a large ranch. I want to have many horses. I want to have a horse barn. I want to have a swimming pool. I want to have a place one day to raise my kids so they don't have to move around. And he turned it in. And on Friday, the teacher caught him as the class was being doing this. And she said, I've read your dream, and it's not reality. And I'm going to give you the weekend to rewrite your dream and write a dream of reality. He said, you're one of the poorest students I have. Nothing that you put in your dream will you be able to acquire. And if you don't change your dream, I'm going to give you an L. I'm going to fail you. And he went home and he sat with his dad. And his dad evidently had some wisdom. He said, son, it's your choice. He didn't tell him not to rewrite it. He didn't tell him to rewrite it. And on Monday morning, this young man walked in. And he handed the original dream. And he said, you can give me that F. I'm going to keep my dream. The book goes on to tell that he owned the horse ranch and the swimming pool and the house. I don't care where you're at in your life journey. I don't care how difficult it looks like to come to pass. I don't care what you've been through. I don't care how you've been abused. I don't care how you've been mistreated. I don't even care about the mistakes you've made. None of that will interfere if you'll just simply surrender to God's will and let him blow resurrection life into your dream. Years ago, we went through a hard place. Some of you have heard me tell this many times. And I quit dreaming for a while. I watched a church that we had built go to nothing because of the decision of a leader I turned it over to. It was hard. And we went through. Susan was wounded. I was wounded. And. One day, we're driving down the highway, and a bulldozer was sitting on the side of the road, and on the blade, someone had spray-painted, for sale. And I looked at her, and I said, I'm going to buy that bulldozer. It's right outside of Donaldson, right on Highway 51. And she said, you don't need a bulldozer. What are we going to do with a bulldozer? I said, I'll build a pond out back of the house so the grandkids can fish in it one day. She said, "You, we ain't got the money to buy no bulldozer. You don't need no bulldozer. I said, hush up, woman, I'm dreaming again. <laughs> Man can live without air for a short period of time. He can go without water for a short period of time. You can even last a minute or two with a, you know, with, with, without many things. But I want to tell you, 
you don't live very long when you don't have hope. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. By, by the way, uh, we had a blessing come to us this morning. Uh, it's an Apple watch, and uh, just mysteriously showed up in my pickup, and I'm going to auction it off today at the end of the service. I don't think Matt's listening to me. I had an Apple watch show up in my truck, and I'm going to auction it off at the end of the service. Matt, I have your Apple watch. I guess it's yours. It showed up in my truck and everything. We got $10 bid on it. Who will give 15 Who will give 15 Anybody want to give 20 All right. <laughs> oh, I don't know about you. I'm in the time of my life. I'm enjoying the kingdom. It's ever-expanding, and things are good. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 7, it said, I fought the good fight. I've finished the race. I've kept the faith. You can't keep faith unless you recognize the voice of God. Faith only comes by hearing, by the rhema, a God-breathed word. Read your Bible. And by reading it, you can get hope. But only when he breathes on it does faith come to you. And without faith, it's impossible to please God. I fought the good fight. I've finished the race. I've kept the faith. You know, we could put that under the picture of those guys raising that flag. What about the flag raising? It's about taking the island. They had to fight the good fight. They had to finish their course. They had to do something. Go to the next slide. Hebrews 11:6 6 said, But without faith it's impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. You notice that word diligently? That's not half-hearted. I'm going to be gracious. The kids are in. That's not half-backside. Amen? You can't do... I'm, I want to tell you, I know two speed, dead steel and wide open. And I'm only dead steel right before I go wide open. Someone asked me the other day, followed me on Facebook, saw me at the Capitol, and said, do you go all the time? I said, well, two-thirds of God's name is go. I'm trying to live up to it. I do go all the time. I'm like the ever-ready bunny. I'm, I'm just ready to go. I'm not going because I like busyness. I'm going because there's purpose in it. Next slide. Coming to faith. In Romans chapter 10 and verse 17, So then faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the rhema, the God-breathed word. Hearing God's rhema, hearing God's rhema, God-breathed word causes faith to come to us. But how many of you have come to realize there's still the journey till you come to faith. Those soldiers, when they raised that flag, they didn't sit down. They didn't put their bullets away. They didn't lay their guns down. It, faith had come to them at that moment, but they still had to come to faith. And they, you do that by staying in the battle. You do that by staying in the battle. Next slide. Charlie Brown, one of the stories said, I find that the, and I find that the body of Christ is like him. One day, him and Lucy were on a cruise, and Lucy took Charlie to the front of the ship and showed him how many people were there with their deck chairs looking off into the sea ahead, very interested in where they were going. Then she walked him to the back of the ship, the rear of the ship, and showed him all the people in their deck chairs set up looking with great interest out towards where they had just come from. She then asked him, said, Charlie, where are you going to set your chair up? On the front to see where we're going or on the back to see where we've been. 
And he answered like many in the body of Christ. He said, Lucy, I don't even know where my chair is. Many people have not found their position. They've not come into alignment. They've not been placed properly so that each joint will supply and become fitly joined together. Can I just tell you something? If you're visiting for the first time today, if you're visiting for the 20th time, CityGate is a house to where you can find alignment. CityGate is a house that through that alignment, you'll begin to supply. How many of you know the Dead Sea is dead because everything goes into it and nothing goes out of it? We're not a house that wants you to come and sit every Sunday and not have anything to do. I boasted in Carthage, Missouri yesterday, we've got enough preachers in this house. We could have a different preacher preach every Sunday throughout the year. We're blessed here. We're, we're, we're incredibly blessed. But one of the reasons is we're not a dead sea. We don't want you to be the dead sea. We don't want you to come and sit here and everything flow into you and never give you the moment of time to let the expression of God flow out of you. Now let me give you some steps. Next slide to come to faith. In Genesis 37, 5 through 7. Now Joseph had a dream. There was a mother, another man said, I have a dream. Martin Luther King Jr. I so appreciate. In fact, I think I appreciate him more and more as I read and study and, and some of the things he was committed to. But he said, now Joseph had a dream and he told it to his brothers and they hated him even more. So he said to them, please hear this dream, which I have dreamed. The first thing you have to do if you're going to fulfill your destiny is you're going to have to recognize God's voice allowing faith to come, come to you. In that process, I want to tell you, the enemy's going to come to steal, kill, and destroy. He first wants to steal your faith. Then he can kill your relationship uh, with God, and then he can destroy your destiny. The devil is scared of your destiny. I know it's a cliche about, uh, you know, being a man or woman that when you wake up in the morning, your feet hit the floor, the devil goes, oh, no, they're awake again. Well, let me just tell you, he goes out when I go to sleep because I've learned how to tell my spirit man to pray all night. Are you hearing me? Come on, let's just be spooky for a moment. But see, we need to understand in 2 Timothy 2, 2, and these and the things which you have heard from me among many witnesses, commit them to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. There's four people groups right here in this. There's Paul, an apostle. Then there's his son, Timothy, that he said this to. And then there are those that are faithful men and women, and then there are the others. Any church, any house of God is made up of this four groups. There are the father which I'm one in this house. Then there are the sons and daughters of my heart. Then there are the faithful men and women who are sons and daughters of the house. And then there are the others. Someone asked me recently, said, how did, you know, tell me about what's going on there. I heard you were out so many weekends and the church is healthy. Well, I try to pour into the sons and daughters of my heart who pour into the sons and daughters of the house who pour into the others. And it's a reciprocation of great things that God is doing. Number two, you need to speak your faith in God's timing and only to faithful men and women. Let me just tell you, 
there's plenty of people that wants to reign on your parade. Are you hearing me? There's plenty of people. They want to reign on your parade. A step to come to faith we find in Genesis 37, verse 23. So it came to pass. Look to your neighbor and say, it came to pass. What came to pass? God's will. Not yours. God's will. The only time your will will come to pass when it's totally surrendered to God's will. So it came to pass when Joseph had come to his brothers that they had stripped Joseph of his tunic, his coat of many colors as we know. See, people won't. You know, there are insecurities in people that don't want you to be successful. I, I, there's a lot of things I'm carrying. I don't commit to just everybody. You know, last year, one of the things the Lord told me, he said, you're coming into the season of life that you won't have to travel to people. They'll start to travel to you. I talked to Susan about it. We decided we weren't going to tell anybody. I said, that can sound arrogant. I'm not, listen, I'm, I'm not a big shot. You know, everybody knows what a big shot is, right? That's a little shot a long way from home. I don't never get that far from home. Even when I'm in Wales next week, I'm not that far from home. Amen? But see, you got to understand that when I said, when God spoke that to me, we recorded it. Her and I came in agreement, and then that sheep came along in October and prophesied that very word over me. So it became public. Well, I can tell you, that's what I'm expecting. I think the, the prophetic weekend we held here recently, the prophetic weekend we held in, in Heber uh, last weekend, and even what went on in Carthage, Missouri, is proving that. But number three, we need to understand the trials of life. Everybody say trials of life. And the jealousy of mankind will try to take away your mantle of significance, but can never do that if you finish your journey to coming to faith. Remember, when God speaks to you, faith comes to you, but there's still the journey until you come to faith. Let me give you some state steps to coming to faith. In 1 Kings 19, verse 19, so he departed from there, and he found Elisha, the son of Shaphat, who was plowing the 12 yoke of oxen before him, and he was with the 12. Then Elijah passed by him and threw his mantle on him, and he left the oxen and ran after Elijah and said, Please let me kiss my father and my mother, and then I will follow you. And he said to him, Go back again. For what have I done to you? So Elisha turned back from him and took the yoke of oxen. He slaughtered them. He boiled their flesh using the oxen equipment and gave it to the people, and they ate. And then he arose and followed Elijah and became his servant. The fourth step to coming to faith is you've got to release everything that could ever be gone back to in order to secure your future. See, many of you want to go back to the future. You want to go back to what once produced, what brought, brought peace, to a relationship that's not to be anymore. I lost a relationship this past year. Someone I've worked, been in their life for 20-some years. And I, and someone I felt was baiting me that had left their church. And I made a comment, what I had said to the person, to the pastor. I made this comment to, to this person because I want to see, you know what they did? They took my text and went immediately to the pastor and spun it in. And rather than calling me after 20-some years of, of ministry, 20-some years of relationship, 
He cut me off. He's had his wife unfriend us. He's had everything with it. Can I tell you what? I'm at peace. The worst thing you can do is hold on to a relationship beyond the season. Release everything that could ever be gone back to. See, I remember the day, some of you have heard this story, when I carried all my snap-on tools, and I carried it to my dad, and I pulled up, and he saw them. I didn't tell him I was coming. He said, what are you doing with all your tools? I said, I'm going to sell them to you. He said, son, I ain't got enough money to buy all those tools. I always knew my dad carried cash. I said, I'll take what's in your pocket. I, I don't remember. Do you remember how much it was? Two or $3,000 he pulled out of his pocket. There was $30,000 worth of snap-on tools back then. That's $100,000 today probably, isn't it, Dan? But here's what the Lord showed me. Those tools didn't represent my past. They represented the future he didn't want me to go back to. I used to always tell Susan when churches go through a hard time, I said, well, you know, I can hang out a shingle and pull wrenches. I was a good diesel mechanic. People paid big money for me to work on their diesel engine. And so in the process of that, it was something I could go back to. But see, we can't secure our, pu- our future with our past. We can build on the past into our future, but if you try to go back to that, and we all have it in us to go back to those things we're comfortable with. I've got an old scope. It's a center point, Redfield. I don't know how old it is. And I hunted a lot with that type of scope as a young man. And and I tell you, I still like that scope. But I've changed, and it stretched me, and I went to the new modern crosshair type scope with that and said we have a tendency to go back to the familiar go to the next slide see we need to understand there's a difference between a belief and a conviction a belief is something you hold a conviction is something that holds you only once you have come to faith do you live by conviction show me a person whose heart is filled with passion and conviction and i'll show you a leader who will be used to lift many others to their purpose and destiny. Can I just tell you, y'all know, you're not going to bust my bubble. There's many better preachers in this house than me. But can I tell you what I do know too? There ain't a person in this house that's more passionate about the kingdom than me. Might be some as passionate, but there ain't nobody here that's more passionate about the kingdom and more passionate about seeing you become who you are and who God's called you to be. Amen. See, I want to I pour into it. Next slide. Proof of coming to faith and the conviction it brings. Genesis, uh, Genesis 39, verse 2 through 6 said, The Lord was with Joseph. Look at your name and say, The Lord's with you. Say it again. That wasn't strong enough. The Lord's with you. Now look at your neighbor and tell them the Lord's with me. It's easier to tell somebody else the Lord's with them, but it's when you, when you can declare the Lord's with me. Let me tell you what I've been declaring for 37 years now. The hand of my God is good upon me. So you need to let that settle in. The hand of my God is good upon me. Are you hearing me? What is the plan that God has for you? See, if you won't recognize the hand of your God is good upon you, you, you're you're missing out on what God can do. The Lord was with Joseph, and he was a successful man, and he was in the house of his master, the Egyptian, and his master saw the Lord was with him. 
and that the Lord made all he did to prosper in his hand. So Joseph found favor in his sight, and he served him. Then he made him overseer of his house, and all that he had he put under Joseph's authority. So it was from time to time that he had made him overseer of his house, and all that he had that the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. And the blessing of the Lord was on all that he had in the house and in the field. So he left all that he had in Joseph's hand, and he did not know what he had except for the bread that he ate. And Joseph was handsome in form and appearance. Next slide. Conviction is God's faith source. Verse 7. And it came to pass after these things that his master's wife cast a longing eye on Joseph, and she did, and she said, lie with me. But he refused and said to his master's wife, Look, my master does not know what is with me in the house, and he has committed all that he has to my hand. There is no one greater in the house than I, nor has he kept me back from anything from me but you, because you are his wife. Let me tell you what Job's saying there. I'm a man of covenant, and you need to be a woman of covenant. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin, not against your husband, but against God? How can I do that? See, you. next slide. You must have peace with God before you can have the peace of God. If Joseph would at that point not had peace with God, the, he would not have been able to stood. We've got to have peace with God before we can have the peace of God. In Romans chapter 5, verse 1, it said, Therefore, having been... Justified. Look at your neighbor and say, you're justified. Not by your righteousness, but by the work he did on the cross. You're justified, but it still takes your obedience of surrender to that. You've been justified by faith. We have peace with God and through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have access by faith into his grace in which we stand and rejoice in the hope of of the glory of God. There's a lot out there about the glory right now that's not the glory. They think the glory is when someone's laying on the floor shimming and shaking, and I'm not against that. But I want to tell you something. You know, there was a move of God somewhere. I'm going to be cautious with that, but he talked about this move of God went on 16 months. At the end of 16 months, the man who led that move left with somebody else's wife, left his wife. You can't live 16 months in the glory and do that. Are you hearing me? And not only that, but we also glory in tribulation, knowing that tribulation produces perseverance. And perseverance, character, and character, hope. Now, hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in our heart by Holy Spirit who is who was given to us. Philippians chapter 4, next slide, 4 through 7. Rejoice in the Lord always. When do we rejoice? Always. I wrote in an old Bible. Years ago, in a scripture in Psalm, don't even remember what it was, I said, you know, the uh, relationship with God is when you can stand waist deep in alligators and all you can see is Jesus. I watched that movie, I don't know, a few months ago, Hacksaw Ridge, about the conscientious objector who wouldn't carry a gun but saved all those lives. You know, he had peace of God. He rejoiced in the Lord. He fulfilled his destiny there. Again, I say rejoice. Verse 5, let your gentleness be known to all men. The Lord 
is at hand. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication. With thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Verse 7. What happened? And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding. Anybody ever had that peace that worked beyond your understanding? How can I be in peace at this moment? I've been talking a little bit about it, but you know, in 1989, I went overseas and I was put in the trunk of a car and snuck into East Berlin. And I had the peace of God. I look back and I almost lose my peace now. <laughs> but at the moment, I had the peace of God. Are you hearing me? Make your request known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard what? Your heart, your mind, but only through Christ Jesus. See, righteousness is not right standing before God. Righteousness is right relationship with God. You must have right relationship with him because then it will guard your hearts and mind through Christ Jesus. Next slide, peace of God. If you have peace with God, then you will have the peace of God, which will guard your heart and mind through Christ. When you have the peace of God, you know that you know that any matter in your life is already finished in your favor. There's a real key right here. All things work together for the good. Not all things are good. That's not what it's saying. And the, and the people that take this trick, scripture and twist it and, and make it something else believe that oh it's gonna, it, all things are good because God's in control. He is not in control. Get rid of that religious nonsense. Put it down. Deal with it. Move out from under it. Walk away from that kind of thinking. God is in charge, but he is not in control because he created each and every one of us free will beings. You're here today because you chose to be here. God didn't make you come. He might have brought conviction, and with that conviction would come faith. But you are here because you chose to be here. I get on a plane for a long flight tomorrow to England. We'll fly all night because I choose to do so. Not because I have to do it. Not even so much that I just get to do it. I, 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 I have chosen to be obedient to relationship to know that God would have me to go. Are you hearing me? See, when you have the peace of God, you know that you know that any matter in your life is already finished in your favor. God's in charge. Let him be in charge. That's called surrender. But he's not in control. And quit blaming him. You know, I, I get so, uh, up, I'm not upset, I get, I really get angry when the weathermen blame the hurricanes on God. It's an act of God. See, that comes from the religious mindset that believes he's in control. I, as a young man, took four pieces of glass and glued them together. I, as a young man, took a fan. It was actually a heater motor, ran off a 12-volt battery and blew it in there and injected moisture in there and heat lamps in there and created a tornado that ran for days and won in the Arkansas Science Fair. If I can take scientific understanding and create a tornado <coughs> that would run inside that box, 
that could be seen. We had leaves in there, and they would swirl around. Uh, you know, <clears throat> are you hearing me? If I could do that, how many of you know that warm air and cool air and the right wind can create the same thing? In Romans 8, 28, it said, And we know that all things, I studied this word all things in the Greek, and it means all things. Amen? And we know that all things, that's death, that's disappointments, that's bankruptcy, all things work together for the good. To those who love God. That's the first key. Do you love God? Or you like the man that says, I believe, but help my unbelief. Your love does not have to be perfect. His love for you is perfect. Your love is being perfected. There's a difference between being perfected and being perfect. And he's not asking for your love to be perfect. Just love him the best you can. When I married this gorgeous woman on the front row here almost 46 years ago, I thought I loved her. 46 years later, I, our love's been perfected. It's not, no, our love's still being perfected. But it's, it's you know, it's kind of like building a house. You know, you can get the blueprint, you can have the dream, you can get the blueprints, you can get the, the material delivered to the job site, but you got to put it together to have something. And I got news for you. I want to bust your bubble today. Marriages are not made in heaven. They're made down here in the earth in the now and nasty. Everything in hell will set itself against because, it, listen, the most powerful thing that God has given us is the power of agreement. And when a husband and wife who are spiritually one come together, they are aligned for conquest and they can speak to mountains and tell them to be removed. There's nothing more powerful. Well, I, I take that. I actually believe it is. It's when a family. It'd be when Janu gets all of his family together. And you begin to speak to mountains together. There's power in agreement. One puts a thousand to flight, but two puts ten thousand. It's a synergy of the ages that God wants to. You know, you I don't do as much of it, but used to when I taught first fruits in many places, I'd pray for debt-free living, and I'd always have the people bring their debts, their credit card receipts, their uh, mortgages of their house. And you know who I'd get to pray for the people for debt? People like Jeremiah in Israel, these twin girls back here, they just got childlike faith. They don't believe God's not going to answer. Are you hearing me? I, I'm talking about something, I'm going to be a little controversial, but I never once in my life got up on Christmas morning and didn't expect something to be there under the tree. There were years it was greater. You know, some, you know uh, Santa's economy fluctuates. <laughs> but I always knew something would be under there. And children just believe. Maybe you came through a hard time and maybe you were raised poor, you know, in a poor setting and all that. But I want to tell you something. Think back. Did you ever really wonder if there was going to be something to eat? It might have just been Cheerios and water. I mean, that's about as low end as you can go, you know, with that. I, I have to tell you, I wasn't raised poor. 
but there were tighter times for it, but we always had we always had a big old sack of great northern beans. And you could put them in a crock pot. And, you know, we didn't even have any fat back to put in there, but I'll tell you what we always had around my house. And empty tin can sitting on the counter with tin full of it had bacon grease in it. And you had that bacon grease to those. But come on, let's get real. I'm just country, and I'm, I'm not telling you I'm proud of it, but I'm not, I'm not in any way uh, ashamed of it. I appreciate my raising. Are you hearing me? But my family knew how to find a good steak. And my dad loved Mexican food. And some of you can remember the only Mexican food place in the South. How many of you have lived here in the Mid-South most of your life? The only place was Poncho's in West Memphis, Arkansas. <laughs> I'm just telling you, Poncho's was there before time. Probably, probably uh, Noah, it, when he came off the ark, Poncho's it lasted through the flood. He went there and got something to eat. I know I'm being facetious, but I want that. My, I like, man, we spent so much money with J.A. Riggs. We had nine caterpillars. And we were at J.A. Riggs all the time. Dad would tell me, he said, I mean, I can remember him coming by school and getting me out of school and say, come on, I'm going to West Memphis to get some parts for those caterpillars. We're going by ponchos. Can I just be transparent a minute? I used to think you couldn't eat Mexican food if you didn't have a, a good cold goblet filled with beer and salt all the way around the edge. Now, I know some of y'all are purists, but, you know, I'm just keeping it real. I'm, I thought that. Probably still do. Now, we're talking about in moderation. We know that all things work together for good to those who love God and to those who are called according to his purpose. One of the translations to Christ's purpose. You know that I really believe we don't have a purpose, we have a destiny. And in that destiny, we need to allow his purpose to be fulfilled through us. That makes sense? Go to the next slide. What's the greatest challenge to coming to faith today? Is it the devil? Is it demons? Is it life itself? See, many today want to excuse their behavior patterns, bad habits, lacks of wisdom, and blame the devil. You know, it's kind of like the other day I heard this lady they call AOC. And she was talking about, you know, how can you finance this green thing they're talking about and doing away with airplanes and building and all this stuff. And she said, it don't, it don't matter about the money, how we're going to do it. It, it. It's about the cause. Well, that, you know, you can't run a nation that way. You can't run your business that way. You're going to, listen, if you spend more than you got coming in, there's a pay-up day sometime. You're going to end up in bankruptcy. But see, they want to excuse their behavior patterns, bad habits, lacks of wisdom, and blame the devil and demons or for our inability to change and become more like him who created us. I said earlier in this meeting, I've met the enemy. It's this flesh right here. If Paul, who wrote two-thirds of the New Testament, could say, that that I desire to do, I do not, and that that I desire not to do, I do. And see, we want to boil it down that there's some kind of demon inside of us, and that's where it's all at, and sometimes it is, but that's not where it's all at. It's called the pride of life. It's called the lust of the eye, and it's called the lust of the flesh, and that's all external, not internal. It's choices. That's the reason God is not in control. How many of you love, stand up, Janu. How many of you love Janu? Don't you love his teaching, love his family? I got, I want to, listen, I'm finna bust your bubble. I'm finna bust your bubble. Let me tell you about this man of God. He's one decision away 
from hijacking a FedEx plane and flying to the Bahamas. I didn't say he was thinking about it, but all it takes is a decision to rob a bank, to lie, to be unfaithful. And see, a lot of people want to deal with all of that, but they don't want to deal with the root. Let me just tell you what the reset button was today. Taking an ax and cutting the root. Where's Andrew Hardwick? Is he here? He might be working uh, to get something done. But Andrew made me something to hold an anointing oil horn the other day out of a tree that him and his dad have cut down three or four times. Keeps coming back. Are you hearing me? But I want to tell you something. If you'll dig down the ground and cut the root, it ain't coming back. It's gone. And see, more people are sorry for the circumstances of their sin than they are really repentive of the sin. Repentance doesn't mean to say, I'm sorry. Repentance, the actual best you can define it, and Dutch teaches it far better than I do, but it's about taking on a new way of thinking. To no longer think. I don't think like I did when I was a heathen bar fighting drunk. We had a guy kind of challenge us. Gary and Matt were with me coming back from Carthage, Missouri last night, and a truck was kind of acting funky, and, you know, it would pull up beside me and was wanting to, you know, kind of do some things and, and all that, and I had, to, I had to say that old man in me, you're not going to rise up. Amen? You know, because, you know, there was, a part, there was a competitive thing that was in me, and I don't like anybody bullying me, and I don't like idiots. And this person was driving like one. Or, am I making sense to you? See, so many today who want to over-spiritualize things and keep their heads in the clouds. Anybody know how to spell reality? Can, come on, someone spell it for me. I-T-Y? Wrong. R-E-S-P-O-N-S. I-B-I-L-I-T-Y, responsibility. I'm just telling you, the charismatic, spirit-filled, full gospel, Pentecostal people that I represent have been very foolish and very irresponsible. Probably watching, if you are, ma'am, I apologize. Nobody here will know who you are, but a lady wanted to go through courts of heaven, hadn't made a car payment forever, had her car hit out somewhere. Went through the courts of heaven, thought it was a done deal. Didn't contact her mortgage company, didn't do anything. Got the car out of hiding. It was repossessed the first day. And then she was angry because the courts of heaven didn't work. <laughs> yeah, the courts of heaven, the courts of earth worked real well. Come on. We're not a house like this. I mean, you, some of you saw who we are today. When that moment of time, that reset moment, put that picture back up there if you can for just a minute. When that reset button moment, it, God reset some of your mindsets today. He reset some of your futures today. And listen, some of you have been on the wrong road trying to get to the wrong place, and it was a reset today, and you're on the right road headed to the right place because now, according to Psalms 84 and verse 5, it said, Blessed is the man whose trust is in God and whose heart are the highways to Zion. Let me just tell you what happened today in that reset moment. 
you move from GPS, global positioning system, to GPS, God's positioning system. Are you hearing me? I told the story how when we knew we were to acquire land in Arkansas, a doctor cured us and showed us land and said, I'll build you a cabin on this land. Wasn't going to cost us anything. And Susan and I, I mean, we weren't away from him and his wife for two or three miles driving down the road. And I looked at her and said, it's not our land. And we passed up what could have been given to us. Free and clear with a new cabin to our design being built on it because we knew that was not God's plan. It was not God's land for us with that. And then we go out and find God's land and we take on a million-dollar fundraising project to build this ministry there in Boone County, Arkansas. Why? Because we came to faith. Move to the next slide, please. And what's that about? There we go. Quality decisions. You must make some quality decisions once you've come to faith to become more than a conqueror. One of those is stay in the battle. Let's look at Abraham's life to see clearly as an opportunity that was presented to him. Next slide. Genesis 12, 1 and 3. Now the Lord said to Abram, remember he hadn't become Abraham yet. He's still Abram. Get out of your country. Step out of the boat. From your family and from your father's house to a land that I will show you and I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great. And you shall be a blessing and I will bless those who bless you and I will curse those who curse you. And in all the families of the earth, in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. You know, this is the first place that God ever called him the Hebrew. See, he moved out from worshiping his mom and dad's God and he moved out to begin to worship and follow and surrender and be obedient to his own God. And some of you reset that button today. It's time for the God not to be the God of Citygate or the God of the USA or the God of the Apostolic Stream or the God of the Charismatic Movement or the God of, of traditional Christianity. Today is the day for him to become your God. But apostle, I'm born again. I'm filled with the Spirit. No, you can still worship other people's God. You can know about him, but not be intimate and know him. Are you hearing me today? Next slide. Now the Lord has said to Abraham. Now the Lord has said to Abraham. Now the Lord has said to Abraham. Faith comes to Abram. He tells him to get out. Genesis 12, verse 10 through 11. Next slide. There was famine in the land, and Abram went down to Egypt to dwell there, for the famine was severe in the land. It does not say the devil sent the famine. It does not say God sent the famine. Why was there famine? Some of you are in a dry place. Why are you in a dry place? Next slide. Read those words up there when they... It just was. Let that settle in. It just was. The worst thing you can do is begin to see, search and see and, and feel like, you know, it's something you've caused this. I mean, search your heart, but don't get hung up on it. See, in Job 5, 7, it said, Yet man is born to trouble as surely as sparks fly upward. 
troubles come. Matthew 6 says, Therefore do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about its own things. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Look at somebody and say this. Things happen. Things happen. Prayer covers a lot of things, but I want to say things happen. If we do not understand that things happen, then we will begin to amend the plan of God. When circumstances or difficulty come our way. You can't amend God's plan. He didn't have plan A and plan B. Listen, when, when the Pharisees killed Jesus, we didn't go into plan B. I always love to ask this here. Some of you know. What, somebody tell me what the population of planet Earth is. Come on. Okay. Well, you missed it by quite a bit. The population of planet Earth is two. Those that are in Adam and those that are in Christ. Come on, let that sink in. Oh yeah, there's many parts of us, but we're either the one new man in Christ or we're still in Adam. And I got news for you, I'm not preaching to people that's in Adam. I'm preaching to people who are in Christ. Are you hearing me? And it came to pass when he was close to entering Egypt, talking about Abram, he said to Sarah, his wife, Indeed, I know that you're a woman, beautiful countenance. Therefore, it will happen that the Egyptians will see you, and they'll say, This is his wife, and they will kill me, but they will let you live. Please say you are my sister, that it may be well with me for your sake, and that I may live because of you. So it was when Abram came into Egypt that the Egyptians saw the woman, and she was very beautiful, and the prince of, of Pharaoh also saw her and com commended her to Pharaoh, and the woman was taken to Pharaoh's house. Verse 6, and he treated Abram well. For her sake he had sheep, oxen, male donkeys, male and female servants, female donkeys and camels, but the Lord plagued Pharaoh in his house with great plagues because of Sarai. And Abram's wife, and Pharaoh called Abram and said, What is this you've done to me? Why did you not tell me she was your wife? Why did you say she is my sister? I might have taken her as my wife. Now, therefore, here's your wife. Take her and get the heaven out of here. He was carrying heaven. Amen? Get her out of here. So Pharaoh commanded his men concerning him, and they sent him away with his wife and all that he had. Don't amend God's plan. You remember that lie that he told? And later the son of laughter, the son of destiny came along. Isaac told the same lie. It's called a familiar spirit. And be handed down generationally. There are things that my dad handed down to me I had to break. Things that was handed down to me my sons had to break. And my grandson has had to break. And with that, are you hearing me? Faith had come to Abram, and he had begun his journey to come to faith, but Abram, not having come to faith, began to, number one, listen to this, redefine truth to accommodate his weaknesses. You know, that's what religion does. We set communion out every time we gather, but yet religion is so worried that people are going to go somewhere else that there's a thing in Memphis called, in the Mid-South, called closed communion. In other words, if you're not on the membership roll of that church, you can't take communion there. Let me tell you what that is. Doctrine of devils. 
We're the body of Christ. I'm not foolish enough to think that if God wrote a letter to the church at South Haven, it would come to, to uh, 7140 Getwell Road. It wouldn't come to your house either. The church that's in South Haven is many facets and meets in many buildings and had many expressions and is at many different levels of maturity. But we have a tendency to redefine truth to accommodate what he told his wife to say she was his sister, a religious spirit. See, religion does this. It has, it has done so by preaching the church and world, a heaven-based theology and not an earth-based theology, by preaching a death-based theology and not a life-based theology. Number two, you'll be pressured to perform. Right now, the clock is pressuring me a little bit, but I want to finish this message. But I'm not here to perform to you today. I'm not here to make a point with all of these points I'm bringing to you. I'm here to make a mark on your life. I'm preaching to you what I've been living out 20 years. I know that when God speaks and faith comes to you, there's still the journey and battle till you come to faith. We could go back and look at my original picture that I put up there, the picture of Irojima, and the very fact that I brought out to you the battle of Irojima began on February the 19th. They raised the flag on February the 23rd, but they took the island on March the 26th. Men died between the raising of that flag and the taking of the island. Prices were paid. Sacrifices were made. Possibly, I don't know this historically, but maybe a hand grenade was tossed into a foxhole and a soldier jumped on it and gave his life to preserve others. I don't know all of what took place, but I'm telling you, this nation, whether you can handle it, where you believe it, where you want to, it's had a flag raised over it, but we got a battle going. We held the first last Tuesday of the 2020 election prayer call. We had Dutch sheets on. We had... Uh, Sister Billy Brim on. We had a, a lot of people were on the call, but here's the interesting thing. We had close to 800 people on the first call joined us if we prayed over the 2020 election. Who are you praying for? Righteous people? Pro-life people? I'm not praying for none of those green thing nuts either. I'm not praying for socialists to take over this nation. If that offends you, I'm sure you can find a nice little pleasant, good and pleasant church to be a part of. Because I'm telling you, I've been to the countries that are, that are socialist nations. I've been to nations that have uh, social medicine. I have a friend in Canada that spent his whole life needing a heart operation, but never did qualify. And it finally affected his life, and he got... He got dementia, and then he got Alzheimer's because of a heart issue. Bill Barber that leads CityGate, NEA, just last week, he's been having trouble all year, all, all of last year. And finally, they run the test and found out that he's got blockage. Only for the doctor to come in and say, you've only got 70% blockage, and Meta, Medicare will not pay unless it's 80%. That's where we're headed, but next time it's going to be, you're going to have to have 100%. They're going to up the game. They can't find, listen, you're preaching politically now. Listen, the political spirit and the religious spirit has gotten married in this nation. Every time you hear Pelosi say 
The wall is immoral. That's the religious spirit and the political spirit. The religious spirit wants to silence you. The political spirit wants to kill you. And I'm going to stand against it. I don't think I'm prophesying my future, but if I become a martyr, I'm going to stand against it. Are you hearing me? Let me just tell you what my new declaration is. They can have my beef. They can have my hamburger when they pry my fingers from my AR-15. Some of, you don't, and some of you don't even keep up. You don't have a clue. But, you know, they want to do away with beef cattle because they expel gas and it's eating the ozone layer. Listen, the same God that created this thing hadn't given up his creative power. And if we'll just get in covenant with him, he can create a new ozone layer. Everybody's so worried about the beast and all this stuff going to happen. And then there's going to be famine in the land. We're not going to have anything. Let me just tell you, at the Nash house, quail going to fly in every day. Manna is going to fall out of heaven. How many of you know what manna is? That's cathead biscuits. Water going to start right up out of my driveway. Pure water. Mr. Nash, you're a fool. No, I'm not. He said, I've never seen the righteous beg for bread. That's my promise. When I walked in that time when my son was in an accident and they had him strapped to a board and the doctor said to me, they were cutting his clothes and his boots off of him and they said, don't touch him, he's paralyzed. I remember thinking, I looked at that hand right there and I said, this hand has raised the dead. This hand has seen tumors fall off. It's seen the deaf ears open. It's seen blind eyes open. It's worked in 58 nations of the world and it better work for my son. And I laid hands on him and that board. I'm telling you, that board that he was strapped to on that gurney came up off of there and every doctor quit working on him. And he left that hospital the next morning with no damage. And the same God that works in me and through me works in you and through you. But you've got to come to that place that you not only have faith come to you, but you, I'm going to finish this up, come to faith. Let me skip a few. Don't be pressured to form. Number two, let me get it going here. See, the foundation of coming to faith, get out of your, move out of the familiar. Some of you need to let go of the familiar. Let me just tell you, there is a divine reset coming to the churches of the Mid-South. There's a divine reset. A lot of people want to come to a special service at a church like this, but they want to go back to their traditionally frozen, chosen place to where nothing's going to happen on Sunday. They don't understand or make them uncomfortable. Years ago, I was in a service in Wynn, Arkansas. There was a man in that service who was from Israel. Name was Fred. He had actually been a shepherd in the very valley where David wrote the 23rd Psalms. And Fred loved God. But when Fred danced before the Lord, it looked a little bit effeminate to me. No, it didn't look a bunch effeminate. I didn't like the way Fred, I mean, you know, I thought it needs to be the, the Cotton Eye Joe type dance. But he would dance all over the church, wouldn't he, Susan? One night we're having a candlelight communion service, sweet spirit. And Fred 
got up dancing. He kind of danced like this. I mean, just, you know, I just, yeah. And I was a lot, you know, I'm still got a lot of testosterone, you know, but I had a whole bunch more back then. And so what do we do when things get, when somebody moves out into an arena you're uncomfortable with, what do we do? We make them disappear. I know none of you have ever done that, but I did that that night. I was sitting just about where Mary's sitting. I had a hand up. I wanted to look spiritual, Mary. I had my hands up, and I had Fred gone. He was not in the universe. I had closed my eyes. I couldn't see him. He could no longer embarrass me. And he came down the aisle, and somehow his hand touched my hand. And somehow there was a transference of anointing. And somehow, I danced just like Fred. (laughs) And after they did CPR on my wife, (laughs) am I telling the truth? It was a life-changing impartation. Because what happened was, is me died that day. And I moved into a new liberty. Let me finish this up. Man, I'm having fun, though. Get out of your country. Move out of your family. Move away from the familiar. Number three, be willing to leave your father's household. All right? It's time to become a new wineskin. To pursue coming to faith, you must leave the place of your familiarity. Therefore, Changing your, your perceived and accepted norms by being thrust outside of our place of security and safety. See, some of you, not picking on anyone, but some of you sit all the way in the back because you're more comfortable there. Probably not anybody in here doing it as I look back there. But see, it's not, we all have things we do, we put up to to buffer or to buffet. No, buffer would be the word. We don't want, we, we're not going to get, we're not going to get in one of Vicky's class on the prophetic because somebody might see something about me or I might hear something that I'm afraid to speak. Let me give you some hindrances to coming to faith. Pull that slide up. Move to the next one. Hendersons coming to faith. Number one, relying on others to fulfill the word of the Lord in your life. Trusting his father. Listen, the word of the Lord is going to come to pass in your life. You've got to, you've got to yield yourself. You've got to surrender. Number two, when you take things with you, God says, leave behind. Remember, he take, took Lot with him. Abraham felt like, next slide, it was his right to take Lot on. And coming to faith, you must give up your rights to gain some privileges. Christianity is not about rights. Let me tell you what, victim, which is all over this nation, when we talk about governmental help, how many of you realize the people that really need the government assistance are not getting it, and the people that know how to work the system are getting it? And I don't know about you, I'm sick and tired. I dare you for the next 21 days to pray with me that the fear of God comes to Washington, D.C., and the tongues of every senator and every congressman cleave to the top of their mouth for three days. I, Lord, just give me a word to fly up there and walk past security and prophesy. Just give me a word. I don't know about you. I'm sick of the high school childish nonsense that's going on up there on both sides. 
Our nation is in jeopardy. Our constitution is being changed. Serena, I was at the Senate, or at the state capitol, with senators and representatives and pastors on Thursday in Arkansas last week. Now I can tell you, I, I loved when Governor Asa Hudson was, was elected, but there were some compromises, and I'm praying over him. We need our governor in this state to stand tall. And coming to faith, you've got to give up your rights to gain some privileges. 1 Corinthians 6, 12, everything is permissible for me, but not everything is beneficial. Well, that's a strong statement. Everything is permissible for me, but not everything is beneficial. I'm going to skip the freedom versus liberty, go to the next one after that. Number three, when you have accumulated possessions and acquired people in the wrong places and for the wrong reasons. Let me just tell you, God's going to shake the church up. And people who've been frozen and comfortable in their traditional settings to where it wouldn't be a service like today where we're putting pictures of lions in cages and pictures of lions in the jungle and, you know, maybe swinging a sword around here. You know, there was a lady came into one of our services back in 2008, and it was one of those during that military. Remember how militant we were? We were trying to break that stronghold over this area. And we were, I mean, we had swords. We'd take this sword right here. I built this pulpit. And I built it so we could take this sword off. And I mean, it was, you know, it was safe, but it was dangerous here. And we'd pass this sword through everybody's hand. And we used to have a battle axe. I don't know where it got put. And, you know, we had some guests come in one day. And the lady at the end service come up and introduced herself. And she looked at me and said, why, why can I ask why y'all have that battle axe at the front? I'm telling you, y'all, I get in trouble. I just looked right now. I said, yeah, we circumcised with that. <laughs> I was wrong. I asked God to forgive me, but she left the building so quick I couldn't ask her to forgive me. <laughs> but in the midst of it, a lady got up and walked out of our service. She told God. She called me back years later. She told God, said, God, no worship service needs to be as militant as that. Several years later, she flew in from another state to Memphis, got off the plane. She could tell the spiritual climate of Memphis had changed. I said, God, it's different here. What's changed this? And this is what she said. The Lord spoke and said, do you know that militant worship you thought wasn't necessary? That's what's changed the spiritual atmosphere here. Let me just tell you, the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. Bedroom music is not what's needed when you're warring to take ground. I loved, I don't know, what's the young woman's name on the keyboard? I, I don't know if I know her. Do I know her? Never seen her before. She just dropped in out of heaven today? I mean, I thought she was an angel. She's got a war, she's got a warring sound in her. I'm telling you, you know, I was made for war. My wife has asked me not to confess this anymore, but I, I love battlefield and blood and guts. The tougher it gets, the better I operate. Amen? It was always that way in our business. When our business get up going good, I'll mess it up just so I can have a challenge. I, listen, I, I'm fixing to be humorous, but I know we have kids. But I, I, I was so much this way, I'd created an argument with, argument with Susan before I wanted to be romantic. You know, I just wanted the challenge. Went in her heart back. 
No, it didn't work. <laughs> I'm trying to finish. I'm going to skip a few slides. Go to the one that says on the road again. Keep going forward. When you do not come to faith, you'll wander from place to place without purpose until you die or willing to come back to the truth. Here's some circumstances of not coming to faith. 1 Samuel chapter 20, verse 42. I'm finishing up. Then John said to David, Go in peace, since we have both sworn in the name of the Lord, saying, May the Lord be between us, you and me, and between our descendants and my descendants forever. So he arose and departed, and Jonathan went into the city. See, Jonathan had went out to where David was hiding out. And the reason he was hiding out because of Jonathan's crazy daddy Saul. Because every time that David got near him, he tried to scurry him through with a javelin. And he went out and he prophesied to him. And this is what he said. You're going to be the next king of Israel and I'm going to stand to your right hand. The reason I know he's prophesying, because the culture authority of the land said that Jonathan was the rightful heir to Saul's kingdom. So he prophesied, but then he said he returned to the city. Uh, one of the translations said he returned to his father's house. Let me talk to you about his father's house. In his father's house, he had a feather bed. At his father's house, if it was too warm, people fanned him at night. At his father's house, if it was too cold, they built a fire in the fireplace. In his room. And every night before he went to bed, his cupbearer came in and brought him a good glass of Merlot, you know, so he could sleep real deep. In other words, he was in the comfort zone. Things were easy there for him. And he returned to his father's house. And I'm going to finish this message up for you. He never came to faith because he died on the wrong day in the wrong battle on the wrong sword, and for the wrong cause. And as I've wandered 37 years in ministry now, across with God, I've seen so many people, they go back to the familiar, their traditional, I'm not trying to proselyte anybody out of any other house, but I'm telling you, if it comes down to, to, to perfect giftings and perfect teachings and perfect this and perfect that, or life, go for life. I choose life. I don't choose to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. I choose to eat from the tree of life because life produces life and death produces death. There was someone that passed away, a minister, friend of mine. And I was sacrificing to make it work to be at his celebration. And the Lord said this to me. He said, let the dead bury the dead. And I stayed home. I wasn't disrespectful to him. He was a man of God. I loved him. I, I was committed to his future, and he died prematurely. But it was not for me to sacrifice my time to go and be at a place that there was not going to be life, that it was going to be death. You know, the church is far more versed on death than it is on life. He returned to his own house. Just looking through my notes, I'm through. I don't want you to die on the wrong day, in the wrong battle, on the wrong sword, and for the wrong cause. I want to say to you, you need to hit the reset button. God's already hit it for you, but you need to put your hand on God's hand. God's hand's on the reset button. You need to let that roar of the line of Judah come out of you. You need, to, you need to begin to confess some things.
If you think the enemy's stolen from you, just turn around and redeem it by sowing it as seed. I'll tell you a quick story. Walked out of a church, Seattle, Washington. Used to preach there every year on a Sunday night. Every time I preached there, there'd be an extra hundred people came into the service because I came out of a big conference in the Sundome. I was known. We were known in that area. This particular year, it was just different, wasn't it, Susan? The pastor wanted to control the service that was with it and just didn't go right. And at the end of the service, he gave us our check. We, were, we had friends that worked for Delta Airline, and they would always get us on a red-eye flight out of there at 1 o'clock in the morning, flew all night. We'd land in Atlanta and get to Memphis just about daylight. And when the rodeo's over, I'm ready to go home. And so Susan and I did that. But when he handed us our check, I, we got outside to the rental car, and I said to Susan, he stole our offering. And we looked at it, and it was a fraction of what we normally got when we went there. And so I called a friend who was in the meeting. I said, could I ask you a personal question? How much do you give tonight? And they, they gave almost what the check was for. And he had said, everything given in this offering goes to Brother Nash. And I called another set of friends, the one that worked for Delta, and I said, can I ask what you gave? And that, what they gave was over what the check was made for. And my wife, knowing my nature, and especially back then, she thought I was going to go confront him. I said, oh, no. I said, we're going to plant all that seed. Everything he took seed. I got a harvest coming. And we flew all night. We stood there. We came in agreement, this woman and I, and we spoke to that mountain. We come into agreement. We planted everything that he took from me as seed. We landed on... In Memphis, about 7 o'clock on Monday morning, we got in our vehicle. We drove to Dyersburg, Tennessee, where we lived at that time. And I went to bed, and somebody came and woke me up at 2 o'clock that afternoon and gave me a Dodge pickup. By 4 o'clock that afternoon, I'd given the Dodge pickup away. On Wednesday, someone drove from Arkansas and gave me a Ford Taurus car. And by 5 o'clock that afternoon, I'd given it away. Everybody say, but Friday came. On Friday, we were just having a night of worship in City Gate Church there. And a man drove all the way from Owington, Kentucky, had never been in our house, and had never given me an offering like that, and brought me his building, <laughs> offering that he was saving to build a new building, $5,000. Why? Because we planted seed. Stand to your feet. There's a reset here. It's a reset for your marriage. It's a reset for your business. It's a reset for your, your, your job. It's a reset for your vehicle. It's a reset for your dream. It's a reset for your vision. It's a reset for whatever that God has placed in your heart. It's time to breathe resurrection life back onto that dream. I'm here to tell you, as a man of God, there is a moment in time that he has presented to us today that you can go to a level that you've never been to, but you've got to do some business with God before you leave this building this day. You got to let him circumcise your heart beyond the place of being obedient into a place of a submissive attitude. It's not about works. It's about surrender. We're not taking an offering. So everybody be comfortable. But I'm just telling you, some of you need to look it's your present level of giving. Actually, you need to look at your present level of disobedience and not giving. 
It's not about this church getting more offerings. It's not about this. Listen, if you gave 80% of your income, every person in this house did it, it ain't enough to finance the vision that God has got for this place. It's not enough. All we're asking you to do is be obedient, but it's not just about giving. What are you going to sow into your marriage? What are you going to sow into your spouse? Let me finish with this story. Years ago, (laughs) a long time ago, Sid and I got born again out of nine years of marriage that we were not Christians. And I love to tell this. Anybody ever heard this couple come to Jesus and everything will be hunky-dory? Well, we came to Jesus and all hell broke loose because we were filled with hell and it had to come out of us. But I used to pray this prayer. Lord, you got to change Susan. I can't live with her like this. We had key man insurance in those days. Million dollar policy on my life. My wife was a lot more, she prayed dirty, hairy prayers. She said, God, you need to kill Clay. He's got a lot of insurance. <laughs> I know y'all had these perfect marriages and didn't live this way, but ours has been perfected, okay? Being perfected. One day, I can tell you exactly where I was. I was near Desert, Arkansas. I could find the spot on the side of the highway. I remember I pulled over on the side of the road. I'd called in in Desert. I was driving a truck. We were so broke. It was so hard. And I'd had a conversation with Susan. I'd asked her to do something, and she'd gotten busy and hadn't done it. And I pulled over on the side of the road to complain to God about her. I, I can remember it well. I was driving a big old freight liner with a big sleeper on it and plenty of room between there, and I just bowed right in the edge of the, the front of the sleeper and put my head on the mattress. And I was going to tell her, God, you've got to change her. I just can't live with her like this anymore. And these words came out of my mouth. God, can you change me to where I can live with Susan like she is? Almost to the moment at home, she got on her knees and prayed the same prayer. And God began to heal us. She said, God, just just help. Give me some grace. Change me to where I can live with Clay like he is. And God began to bring us together. I hope you're hearing this. Sometimes we hold people in a moment of time to where they can't be transformed because we're not praying the right prayers. I remember years ago, years ago, everything I preached, I was not understood. Everybody misunderstood what I was trying to say, what I was saying. I went off. I'm Man, I'm fasting. I'm praying. I said, God, can't you give me a people that can understand me? And this is what he said, no. Can't you communicate where they can understand you? And I began to work on my communication skills. I'm always going to be on out there. That's just who God created me to be. But I want to communicate in a way. And I quit trying to, be, I quit trying to preach to give you some analogical teaching, line upon line, precept upon precept type of teaching that tells you how, uh, what, to, uh, how to, uh, what to think. And I begin to try to come into truth like this today that will help you know how to think. When I teach from this environment of how to think, the anointing becomes your teacher. Bow your head, close. You don't have to do that. 
Father, I bless these people. Father, some of them need to pray the same prayers that Susan and I prayed and free their, their co-workers, their spouses, their mom and dad, whatever it is, they need to free them for you to work on them, for you to transform them. I'm hearing something. Let me just stop this prayer. See, God wants you to move from being teachable into transformable. Teaching can be stored in your head, but if you don't apply it, you're never transformed by it. And we're in a moment of time. God wants to reset the way you think so that you're not just teachable. You become transformable. Are you hearing me? The scripture said this for somebody in this room. The scripture said that the thing Job feared the most came upon him. And you can try to manipulate, you can try to hold on to things, but I'm just telling you, you'll lose them. But if you'll give them to God and walk away from them, he'll give, if they are meant to be yours, they'll come back to you. Just like that offering. We just gave it freely to God. God, we planted his seed. Father, touch these people. Let something I've said put a mark on their life. Let them understand. Let them see the fullness of God. Let them come into a place of peace with God. So that they have the peace of God. Let them become warriors. Let them not just know how to release the sound of the roar of a lion. Let them become in everyday obedience the roar of a lion. Let them be a people that when they walk into the bank, the authority goes ahead of them and it brings things into order. <laughs> 